Hello, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Beyond the Breakers. Uh, this is something we'll be doing once a month for our $5 Patreon subscribers. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit different and fun. I'll go ahead and bring Tanner into it. Tanner, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing so good. Excited for our bonus episode. Ahoy out there to anyone listening to this. Happy to, uh, <laughs> happy to be doing something a little bit different, a little bit less somber yeah this will be a little more fun uh a little more laid back a little more loose not nearly as structured uh we're probably going to be analyzing a lot of media and that kind of thing like around maritime disasters shipwrecks uh yeah we'll just try to have a little more fun than telling a really sad story every week if you give us ten dollars on patreon we will actually go sink a ship and then (laughs) tell what happens aboard that vessel yeah. Uh, anyway, what uh, what have you been up to today? Uh, I watched a little bit of basketball. I haven't been doing that as much this season, but uh, tournament season, it's it's kind of hard not to. A uh, little bit of that. A little bit of reading. Yeah, it's been a it's been a pretty solid Saturday so far. Everything is uh, warm and springtime ish here. Yeah, that's kind of how it is here. I uh, watched some basketball, did some painting. I'm actually painting the office that I'm working in right now. So I'm kind of trapped in a small room with paint fumes. So that's always pleasant. Mm -hmm. Um, Good good art can come from that. Good art can come from the fumes. Yeah, you're correct. Mm -hmm. And what else? I, I I just got done watching a movie with you that we're about to discuss here in a few minutes as well. Yeah. I do think it's funny how my correlation of the weather getting nicer and being in the fifties and sixties coincides with me spending all day inside reading and watching television. (laughs) That's 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 kind of how it works sometimes. Um, what are you drinking I today? Are I did it, but I had good? I had the uh, I had the screen door instead of instead of the door closed. So so uh, that was a difference. That's true. so you got fresh air. Oh yeah, a little bit. That's good. A little bit of exercise got my heart racing at the end of the Ohio State and the uh, the Bearcats game. So yeah, yeah, all good. It was a good day for Ohio basketball overall. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I'm but, drinking a fine. Glass of Sobieski vodka. Nice. It, I uh, I have uh, Warped Wing. It's a uh, Ermel's Belgian-style cream ale with raspberry. Is it's it hoppy fine. or not hoppy? Those are the types of beers that I know. <laughs> it's going to be not hoppy, but uh, it's from one of the it's from one of the better craft breweries around Dayton, Ohio. Warped Wing. So definitely, if you're so inclined and you happen to see it in the store, I would definitely say check it out. It's definitely worth uh, worth your time. Nice. Well, mine's uh, from how, Poland, so <laughs> so there. Well, I guess it's about time we probably uh, get into it and discuss the movie that we've been watching for the last two hours. Uh, did you want to go ahead and tell the, the nice people what it is? So we watched a film that some people may be familiar with called The Poseidon Adventure. And we watched the original, the original version, not, the, not that remake that they made, I think just called Poseidon. We watched the original. Yeah, there's actually two. There's there's two new ones. There's the Poseidon Adventure and Poseidon. One was like a made for TV, and then one was a like an actual like in oh, theaters. Okay. Film. Did either of them? But we do are watching well? the original. I don't know that they particularly did great. Not as well as the original. Not as well as the source material. 
I don't know. I didn't. This is definitely a movie that I remember watching as a kid, it being on TV and stuff. But I didn't remember a lot of the details of it. Uh, I'm pleasantly surprised when we watched it. It was actually a pretty good movie. Yeah, this is a movie that I, I think before this, it's been at least, at very least, ten years since I've seen this movie at all. And I think before that, it's the kind of movie that would come on TV. And so I, I've probably seen the whole movie like four or five times, but very In few of those times were the whole way through from start to finish. Right. This uh, is a fun experience watching this as a somewhat of an adult and, and watching this movie and uh, seeing it from start to finish. So this was, this was fun. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. I didn't feel like I wasted two hours on it and I think it held up to be a movie from 1972. I I was still pretty engaged the entire time. The acting is actually really good. I know we kind of discussed that while we were watching it, that the acting is actually really good. And there's a lot of good actors in it. If you, who are we working with here? We know we got Gene Hackman. Who else? Well, we've got Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman, for anyone listening, uh, Gene Hackman, you might know him from famous films like Welcome to Mooseport, uh, Heartbreakers. <laughs> uh, he was in The Mexican. Um, that, and if you're that, that little film called Hoosiers, yeah, yeah if you, I mean, if you're if you're a big film person, big film uh, cinema buff, you might know Hoosiers, The French Connection, Mississippi Burning. Uh, so if you want to go deep down the Gene Hackman uh, rabbit hole, uh, the, the classic, out. the classic Owen Wilson collaboration behind enemy lines. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, classic work from from the Hackman. <laughs> Who else do we have? Who else? Uh, what other big names are in this? Well, we got Ernest Borgnine. He he's a big one in the movie. Uh, he he steals a lot of scenes here, uh, so that's always good. I feel like he he lightens up any movie. Uh, I know I didn't recognize the name Red Buttons at first, but he's definitely someone we quickly identified as an actor that we'd seen in other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you if you know the movie The Longest Day, the World War II film about the uh, D Day invasion, uh, you will you will know Red Buttons as. The soldier who, uh, the paratrooper who gets hung up on the bell tower, I think. Is it in St. Maraglise? I think so, yeah. Um, I think he's the one that gets snagged up on top of the church bell tower. And he goes, like, deaf slash crazy from hearing the bells chiming all night. So, yeah, that was a funny. He he was a really great actor in this. I I thought he really added a lot of uh, really good emotion to it. Like, both, both in a in the humor that he brings to some scenes and in the depth and like the gravity that he lends to other, other situations. So he, he was really impressive. He struck me as yeah, like a I very th- modern actor. Like I'm not, I'm not a super big cinema person, but you know, seeing him in this movie, it seemed like you could take him from this movie and put him in a modern movie and it would fit. It would work. Yeah. I thought the same thing. Like every scene he's in, I kind of gravitated towards like focusing on him. He, I found him very captivating in the movie. We've got uh, Shelley Winters. It's another name that like I'm aware of, but I don't actually know. Again, I'm not the biggest cinema person either. Just tons and tons and tons of credits in her acting career. She acted for, I think, it, 63 years. Jeez. <laughs> well, no, that's, that's kind of the funny thing we talked about when we were watching it, is like a lot of these actors, the older actors especially... Are people that get their start like in like vaudeville acts and stuff mm-hmm. like that? Like there's a there's a big shift in acting that happens throughout these people's career, 
And, you know, then you have someone like Gene Hackman, who in theory could still be in a movie today if mm-hmm. Welcome to Mooseport hadn't broken him. <laughs> it broke a lot of us. I think. <laughs> Didn't um, break Ray Romano, though. He's carrying on. The country hasn't been the same since Welcome to Mooseport. <laughs> Yeah, I think we definitely there's just a ton of great actors and they they really drive the story and keep you captivated. Um, uh, another one that we uh, need to discuss uh, right off the bat is Jack Albertson, who, if that name's unfamiliar to anyone who has ever watched Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, he is Grandpa Joe. He does. Yeah, there's just he does a lot more physical activity in this than he ends <laughs> up doing in uh, in Willy Wonka. But yeah, it's a it's a star-studded cast here. Um, oh, also, Ro- let, Roddy McDowell, I, right? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I forgot about Roddy McDowell, who we would know from the Planet of the Apes movies. He plays Cornelius and, I believe, also Caesar, if I'm not mistaken. In, in the yeah, I haven't really seen those, but I, again, it's just another name that I know from a lot of these older movies. But yeah, I think that's the overall point here. Like, there's a lot of good actors in this movie, and they do a very good job of, of driving the narrative and, and keeping you engaged. And uh, I think we forgot one. Who's that? Surely you can't be serious. <laughs> He's not even really in it that much, but he, he is good. A, he plays a big role. Leslie, Leslie Nielsen is in this. He plays the he plays the actual captain of the Poseidon. So we see him in the first 15-ish minutes of the movie. And uh, it's very interesting, I think, for people, especially people our age, who have seen movies like Airplane or like The Naked Gun. Uh, Isn't he also Mr. Magoo? Isn't that also him? Yeah, I believe he was. I forgot about that one. How could I forget? (laughs) Another classic masterpiece of cinema. Mr. Magoo. But yeah, I think people our age, especially people who are not, like we said, big into movies, neither of us really watch a ton of movies. I probably watch four to five new movies every year. Yeah, and, it's not my it's not my biggest thing either. And that's rarely in theater. You know, that's that's usually just discovering some movie that might be 10 or 20 years old. Right. Uh, but for us, like Leslie Nielsen, we think of him primarily as a comedic actor. And that's that's kind of that's kind of our exposure to Leslie Nielsen. And looking at his earlier career, he, he was he was well known for more serious roles before he pivoted to that. I mean, we've got this, uh, which obviously was a was a big movie, um, and this was a kind of a key but small role in the movie. And he was in a movie called The Forbidden Planet. I think that was in like 1958 or something. Look up pictures of Leslie Nielsen in the in uh, Forbidden Planet. So he's a handsome young man. Uh, <laughs> But having those serious roles and then pivoting to, you know, what you see in Airplane, for example, it kind of highlights why would that have been so funny to someone, you know, in in that era of watching those movies and seeing this this character that, you know, primarily as a serious straight laced character in a absolutely hilarious role where he he kind of delivers his lines the same way, very deadpan. You know, right. very straightforward. And that's where the humor comes from. So I think people our age kind of lose that element of it of, you know, oh, why is it so funny that he is in this role? <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was really interesting in this movie, seeing him in a serious role where you're, you're just like waiting for him to like look at the camera or or make a joke or something. Yeah, it was. And it, was it, good, and it just though. never it never it never happens. When it, he's also he's a very good actor. Like he's a very talented actor. He yeah. came across very like, you know, it, it was very believable watching him in that role. But um, yeah, so definitely the characters in this and the the actors, you know, it's very well done. It doesn't feel 
sometimes, you know, it feels really corny watching some of these old movies where the dialogue is not very good and, and all that. And I don't, I didn't really get the sense of that watching this, but uh, let's dig into the story a little bit. Uh, it starts with the SS Poseidon traveling from New York to, where is it? At, is this, is it Athens? Athens. Is We're going to Athens. Okay. So they don't really specify where the vessel is. It's kind of implied it's in the the, Medi- the Mediterranean Sea. And it's New Year's. They're doing their New Year's celebration. And they get the warning of an underwater earthquake. And there's a massive tidal wave coming their way. Did you want to pick the story up from there and tell a little bit of it? Yeah, so this is a tidal wave. And I don't know anything about nautical instruments and what they can see and what they could not. But they... They look at what appears to just be their radar screen, and they're seeing this wave come at them. I is I don't know. Is that something that your radar would show you? A wave. I mean, I, I don't. I guess wave? if it was big enough, I guess I don't I actually guess. know. Uh, I mean, weather radars detect uh, clouds and and things like that. So I guess in theory, a shipborne radar could detect a massive rogue wave. But right. it's definitely interesting. <laughs> So it's also the timing is interesting too. If you want to tell that a little bit, yeah, the timing like they see this on their on their instruments, however however that may be, and they don't really do anything about it until they until they can like look out the window and see it, and then they sort of scramble, and that's when they start turning to port to turn into this wave, and obviously the wave hits the ship, it capsizes it, and this is right in the middle of the big New Year's celebration, in the um like the the big dining area. Would you say that was bad bridge resource management? This was bad bridge resource management. (laughs) I I think that not enough was done at the soonest possible time. I don't think that their resources were deployed correctly. Well, actually, we we kind of skipped over a sort of a key element in laying the groundwork for this. But the ship captain, Leslie Nielsen, he recommends basically that they I think he wants them to stop somewhere. Is that right? And pick up ballast. He wants to go slower, but in order to do that, you'd have to take on ballast, and the owner of the ship doesn't want to do that because he doesn't want to slow down. Yeah, there's like the there's like the owner's representative on the ship who basically says, "No, I'm ordering you to continue, just like proceed as quick as possible, like to not take mm-hmm. on ballast." So they're not quite as stable as they could be if they took on ballast and slowed down. Mm-hmm. So that that kind of is why when when this uh, ship that, gets hit, that'll be important later. <laughs> exactly. Yes, this will be important later. So the ship gets uh, hit by this wave, and it, it hits it. It's not like a full broadside. It's, it's turning into the wave when it happens. But regardless, the ship capsizes. And there's that famous scene of the, the big dining area flipping over, and you've got the tables stuck to the ceiling still, and people falling down. There's a big Christmas tree that you know falls over, and it is, is a big part of the upcoming scene. Yeah, so that happens. So the, the ship capsizes. So the... Top is on the bottom, and the bottom is on the top. <laughs> and that's kind of where we get the separation of, like, the main characters, obviously. You know, like, what, is it seven or eight, nine people that kind of break out of that group and actually mm-hmm. climb the tree? Yeah, so there's, like, you have your big group of, it's like, you know, maybe 100, 200 people in the, uh, in the dining area. And it's just chaos, obviously, and they realize that there's a way out if they... They take this big Christmas tree and they, they lean it up against this ledge and some of them can climb up. So they climb up and it ends up being, you know, that that core group who becomes important later in the movie. And everyone else says, no, we're staying here. This they're just going to wait to be rescued. And like literally seconds after that conversation happens, there's another explosion 
and that whole area starts to flood. They try to get up, but you know the I, the Christmas tree I think falls down and it kind of cuts off their escape route, and all yeah, those people so, drown. Right. So then you're kind of just left with the the core group that'll actually like be in the story. The people that listened to Gene Hackman. Yes. As you should always do. <laughs> um, when Coach Norman Dale tells you to do something, <laughs> you got to do it. So that happens. That, that's when we get into the, the meat of the movie. Uh, they start kind of winding their way through the parts of the ship. One of the things about this movie that I think is good, what I really like about it, is the, the pacing of it. You know, you start with this core group of like about 10 people. And you very, very, very slowly lose them. Right. They kind of drop off here and there for various reasons. So, you know, they're, they're starting to escape up. They're, and they're trying to get to the engine room to see if that can be a way out of the ship. Because remember, because they need, the anno- they, they the need to get to the little child. Yeah, and they need to get to the bottom of the ship. Because remember, right. everything's turned over. The, uh, uh, the annoying child has informed them that the steel is only one inch thick. Yeah. Shafts. So you've got the kid here. Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Ro- Robin, I think. Robin. You've got Robin, who's this little, little know-it-all twerp. Who the whole movie is is just uh, there for a little bit of comic relief, I guess. Uh, he's very annoying, oh. especially to Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> and so. They're going through the ship, and he, you know, knows this ship kind of inside and out because he he's been studying the things and talking with the engineers and all the all that stuff. Uh, so they're trying to get to the engine room and see what happens next. What happens next? What's our next big thing? Uh, they find a ventilation oh, shaft yep. that they're climbing through. Uh, that's where one of them falls and dies. Acres, he falls to his death. Who is the only like ship? employee that is with the group correct mm-hmm. yeah because he 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 knows kind of knows his way around the ship yeah he knows like the upper levels of the ship but he ends up dying there uh, so there's like a there's a corridor that is flooded gene hackman's character goes ahead to scout that out gene hackman what's his character's name scott reverend scott i think reverend scott yeah so he goes ahead to scout that out he comes back he says yes like the the engine room is fine we can get out there but when everyone else gets to where he's going, it's flooded. They realize that they have to swim. You know, they have to... This is one of the like most stressful like 15 minutes of the movie, I feel like. It really is. And I, when I was a kid, this is the part that I hated about this movie. This part where they're underwater for so long. Because like mm-hmm. the explosions, the fire, the charred corpses in the steam room, that didn't do anything to me, really. But it was the underwater. This is the most stressful part. Swimming through flooded corridors in a confined space. Yeah, I mean, for some reason that bothered me. I think this is a good time to touch on something you've said before about some of the shipwrecks we've said. This really has, like, if you've got a phobia, here it is. Like, short of snakes on a ship, we, we've got all your phobias. <laughs> you've got heights, you've got fire, you've got water, you've got confined spaces. It, it's all there for the enjoyment. You've got people being crushed by stuff. Yeah, you, you've got um, anything imaginable, like you said, short of monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday steamship. Um, <laughs> it's here, uh, basically. And sometimes within like five minutes of each other. Yes, yes, very quickly. Or sometimes all together. Sometimes you have all of those things in one scene. Yeah. Uh, so they get through that. One of the characters, the, the character uh, played actually by Shelley Winters, 
she she has she ends up having to rescue Reverend Scott. He kind of gets stuck in this little corridor. She goes to rescue him, and then she ends up uh, succumbing to. I guess it's a heart attack. Does she have a heart uh, attack? Yeah, the notes say it's a heart attack. It's kind of just implied. I guess it's never explicitly said that it's a heart attack, but so she saves him. They get through, and then she ends up dying. Uh, so Reverend Scott, everyone else ends up getting through that corridor. They get to this final room. It's like the like the final boss room of the ship. And there's like a, there's a lot of steam. I don't know what it is. Some sort of vent. And Gene Hackman has to go close that valve. By doing that, he has to sacrifice himself to let the others out. So Ernest Borgnine's character, Rogo is his last name. He leads the rest of them through those doors. They get to the uh, basically the very bottom of the ship, and they start banging on the outside with wrenches and stuff like that. Uh, and that's where the rescuers are. They cut them out of the hull, and the movie ends like almost immediately after that. Yeah, it's very much this movie. Very much like there's not like a lot of buildup. Like there's not even like beginning credits or anything. Like you just get to the story, and then the story plays out, and it's just over. Like there, there is nothing else really. It's I kind of like it. It's pretty good. Uh, I think it's also. I mean, spoiler alert, there's n- no one else survives except the people that we're, we're talking about, you know, that are the main characters of the story. Yeah, there, there's a scene, it's, I think it's probably a little bit after halfway through, and when they're headed to the scene room, they pass another group of survivors. And it's, it's like quite a lot of people. It's like 20 or 30 people, I think, who are being led by the ship's doctor, and they're going the total opposite direction. And they tell them, hey, like, no, everything back there is flooded. And they're like, no, we're going to go that way anyway. So we obviously know that those people don't make it out. But yeah, they, they end up being the only survivors off of the ship. It's kind of like and, the last yeah. big like shock at the end of the movie. Because the the rescuers are like, how many of you are there? They say there's six. And then they kind of ask, like, how many others have you saved? And they're like, none. Mm-hmm. So it's like the last big surprise. And it kind of ends on that. Yeah. Yeah, so overall, I mean, it's it's a cool movie, I think. Because like, I guess I guess putting this in just the genre of like disaster movies, there's no there's no antagonist in this movie, right? Like there's little bits of conflict, and there's obviously the very beginning, like the initial problem, the initial disaster that happens. But there's no antagonist in this movie. It's just the ocean. <laughs> the ocean. Poseidon himself is the antagonist. We would say, yeah. So it's very interesting, you know, them working together. Obviously, there's there's little flare-ups between the characters, mostly involving Ernest Borgnine. But they get through that. And there's, a, there's really a lot of good scenes that come up between these characters. You know, between Rogo, Ernest Borgnine, and his wife. You know, right at the beginning, you can tell that they have a very complex relationship. And one of the cool things is that you can tell that they have... There's a lot of stuff in their past and in their relationship that is not really given much more detail, which right. is cool. You know, su- subtext is, is very, uh, is very much a good thing to have in a movie. So right away, you see that the relationship between the, uh, the, the older couple, uh, the Rosens, Shelley Winters and Jack Albertson, they have a really interesting relationship the whole time, kind of nagging, but also very, um, very loving relationships. Mm-hmm. They have. So yeah, I think overall, it, this is just a really great character driven movie. You know, the, the, the big drama, the big thing happens at the beginning, and the rest of the movie is just them working through that. So that's pretty cool. I, I enjoyed this as a as a movie. Yeah, it's definitely an enjoyable movie to watch. 
probably not like the most accurate representation of how it would all go down in real life. But it, it does give you some glimpses of kind of the, the horror and terror that one would go through if you were in a situation even approaching something like this. I mean, being on a capsized vessel in the dark with fire and water rising would be a very stressful environment to be in. And you can definitely yeah. see kind of where it takes its inspiration from. Yeah, and something that, you know, uh, uh, even just of the small handful of stories we've covered so far, something that has been highlighted for me that I've really learned about various types of shipwrecks in this process is something that I think this movie highlights well is that, you know, if, if you're on a vessel that has has some sort of problem and it sinks, drowning isn't necessarily the only way you're going to die. There's numerous other dangers on these types of ships, whether it's the thing that causes the problem or something that comes up later, but we've talked about that in previous episodes. Like we talked about that with the um, with the Sultana, your ship first of all basically explodes. Um, right. That's, that, that's and then your, it gets worse. That's your initial danger. Then you're in the water. You're in water that's you know on fire or water where other stuff is falling in and crushing you. Uh, so very uh, myriad ways to uh, to lose your life in a a shipwreck situation. It's definitely an interesting one. I was impressed by how well this movie did at the box office and like on tv and everything like it really cleaned up like i didn't i I always kind of assumed it was a more of like a cult classic movie which i guess it probably is nowadays like i don't think the general like the general like 25 year old is like i'd love the poseidon adventure but for its time it was like a genuinely popular movie Mm -hmm. yeah i've seen it described that way and i don't really know i don't know if there's a technical definition or whatever of what makes something a cult classic but to me this this doesn't seem like it would be one like i've I've seen it described that way but just based on how well it did and the names of the people in it it seems like it just was a movie that did well and yeah to me like yeah it's it's old like it'll be it'll be what 50 years old next year mm -hmm. so yeah it just it it strikes me as just a, a movie that was pretty successful and it's also like a, a well done movie to me. A lot of times, cult classics tend uh, to me. I think of like a movie that's not as well produced or well made, but you love it because of its flaws, like a, like Rocky Horror Picture Show or something. Where or Troll Two, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you love it because of the flawed nature of the movie. Uh, this is a pretty exciting action movie. I guess it was number one in the box office for eight consecutive weeks at one point. And then when it finally went to TV in 1974, it got a Nelson rating of 39, which is the sixth highest rated film to ever air on a network. That's really impressive. So people were very excited about this one when it came to TV. That's, that's cool. I do know that there's a sequel. I, I don't think we'll be doing that one because it sounds like it's not very good. Is this beyond the Poseidon Adventure? Michael Caine? Sally Field? Oh. What? <laughs> Telly okay, Zavala. So, <laughs> we, so it's an yeah. equally big cast, clearly. We've we might have to do this one. We might have to do this for a future bonus episode. <laughs> Slim Pickens is in it. This seems like something that we should do. I could I could definitely see myself enjoying this. <laughs> no, that that one might be more of the cult classic. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Throw in Telly Zavala's here. I mean, we're we're really filling out the cast of the Dirty Dozen at this point between him. Yeah, you know. yeah, <laughs> yeah. We could we could throw that in there. I'll watch some some Sally Field, some Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> we 
what what are your other thoughts on this one? How do you think? How else do you think it kind of relates back to the kind of stuff we've been talking about on Breakers? I don't know. I think it it it's uh, it follows the theme that we have we have highlighted in several of our shows, or probably all of them. There there's things that you can and cannot get away with when you are steering a uh, a vessel, especially a large one. This is true. And this is highlighted in like the opening scenes of this, where Leslie Nielsen says, "No, we need to slow down because we need to take on ballast." And you know, the the greedy uh, ship owner representative says, "No, full speed ahead." And of course, you know that's one problem; they don't have ballast. And then the other problem that comes up is this earthquake. Obviously, no one had predicted that. And then there's this like tsunami that hits them, and at least the implication in the movie is had they had more ballast, maybe they would not have capsized getting hit. Right. Right. So, so one, you can make one mistake. There can be one flaw in the plan and you could probably be okay. You know, if it, if it goes forward with no ballast and there's no freak earthquake off of Crete, they're probably fine. But then those two things happen in, in, you know, they, they coincide. And now we have, the tragic deaths of hundreds of people, including Shelley Winters. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good point. It definitely it follows the logic of what we talk about in a lot of our stories, which is you could have one thing go wrong. You might even be able to have two things go wrong. But when you have these chain of events that link together, that's when the one in a million event happens. And then that's that's when the passenger ship sinks. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what are your overall thoughts on the movie? Is, is it a good movie? Is it something you'd recommend someone to see, or is it like something that's more laughable? I think it's a good movie. I mean, it's something I would say no one probably needs to see it more than once. Would be right. my my estimate of it. I mean, I think if you if you if you watch it once at a time when you can really remember it and sort of process everything, that's that's probably good. I I, I can't see myself owning this movie on DVD, <laughs> but. Right. Which I've realized recently is, I don't consider myself to be that old, but I, I realize that my consumption of media sometimes marks me as as such, or at least getting there. The fact that, like, if I if I really like a movie, I want to have it on DVD, and that's really? something that people are doing less and less. I stream everything. I don't know the last time I used like a physical media of any. Well, sort. it's it's not even about using the DVD; it's about having it. You know. Interesting. It's like I don't watch a lot of dvds but if it's a movie i really love i want to own it in a physical version you know same thing with with some some music you know certain genres of music lend itself to owning it in a physical copy like i listen to a lot of metal and metal uh, albums have a lot of you know visual intensity to them that's a very important aspect of putting out something in that genre is is what it looks like and so i'm very much into the idea of owning physical copies of media so I guess that makes me old, but I don't know. This is not one I would need to have in my physical stack of DVDs. <laughs> uh, speaking of like physical media, uh, I know like when we put this episode out, I'm going to definitely use some of the movie posters that I found. They're pretty cool. They're like lithograph type drawings. And it, the tagline is hell upside down. Like, it's just a great <laughs> tagline for a movie. Just when you thought hell couldn't get any worse. We turned it upside down. 
I, I love it though. It's a very that's, like that's late sixties, seventies style. That's the part that all those Renaissance art pieces get wrong is that everything is actually <laughs> upside down. I thought that was pretty interesting, and yeah, I definitely agree, kind of with your take on it and everything. Like, it's not a movie that I really want to see again, but it it was definitely worth the two hours that we sat and watched it. And it like I remember watching as a kid and everything, and there was definitely some scenes that I still remembered, and it was nice to see mm-hmm. those again. It's the kind of movie that I think if if it's if it's on TV and you're with someone who maybe hasn't seen it, you're like, oh, cool, Poseidon Adventure, and you you, you turn it on. It's probably uh, even like if it's just randomly on. It's kind of like Shawshank Redemption. Like you'll stop and watch it for mm-hmm. thirty minutes because yeah. it's on TNT. Yeah, I'd put those in the same category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was a good movie though. It, it, obviously, it felt dated in some ways uh, with certain scenes or certain words being used, but. Overall, like it didn't feel like a dated movie as far as its concept and the way that it plays out. Mm-hmm. I think the scene where Red Button slaps the 19-year-old girl to get her out of shock <laughs> felt a little dated. It was. Yeah, that that, that, that one was <laughs> very much a product kinda, of its time, or maybe even yeah. a time before its time. Uh, but yeah, that, 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 that felt a little dated. <laughs> but yeah, like the movie has a concept, and like the movie, the way that it shot and everything, I thought it was pretty good. I know that one of the fun facts I kind of liked when I was reading through the IMDb page is that they shot this thing in order. So, like, you know, normally when they do movies, they're shooting, you know, whatever's convenient and whatever they have, you know, available. But they actually wanted to shoot this in order so that the cast would kind of go through the process of what it would be like to be, like, more and more, like, worn down and tired as the, like, journey carried on. And you'd get used to the idea of not having a certain character with you because that character had died previously, so... I thought that was kind of interesting that they chose to do this is, it like that. I guess this is when you're glad that this was not like a Hitchcock production. And like, <laughs> yeah, where yeah. he's like torturing you as you're trying to do your work. It's like, no, that lady's actually dead. <laughs> like, uh, Shelley, Shelley Stevens has died. She burned to death. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I enjoyed it. I think... Uh, or she- Shelley I think Winters. Be- I said, I said Shelley she- Stevens. Shelley Winters. Yeah, Shelley Winters. Regardless, she actually- she's dead. She, she's dead, regardless. She- she had a heart attack when we held her underwater for 15 minutes. Yeah. Is there any other particular pieces you wanted to touch on with this one? Uh, what else do we have? Oh, there's something that jumped out at me that I, I didn't remember from this, or I, or I didn't know about this movie. At the beginning, when they're getting the fancy New Year's dinner set up, mm-hmm. the, there's like a singer, she's singing a song uh, called The Morning After. I heard that song, and I immediately recognized it, not from this movie, but from South Park. Really? Uh, in the episode where Chef gets ensnared by the wiles of a succubus, and like the boys are very suspicious of, of this woman, that's like the song that she sings to, to like hypnotize <laughs> Chef. And I heard it, and I had no idea that it was from this movie. And apparently it was written specifically for this movie. Back when that was a thing? Like back when... <laughs> Songs were written for movies like that, like a, I mean, I guess a regular I, movie. Yeah, I guess I associate that kind of thing with like James Bond, have, or like children's animation, like Frozen or something. Like I, yeah. I know that still happens, but not but, for like uh, a major action, like adventure movie. I don't, I don't think that really still happens where they write yeah. songs specifically for a movie. So I, I thought that was interesting. Still, uh, still, actually, on the topic of music, John Williams did the music for it, so that's cool. And and who was he for our, our audience that may not know? Uh, John Williams is like the most famous film composer. I'm I'm gonna say ever. I, I I don't think I would be out of line if I said he was the most famous one ever. 
Uh, he's done, I'm like, just looking. I'm just looking at his like credits. You've got like Star Wars, Schindler's List, Jurassic Park, Harry Potter, Home Alone, Indiana yeah, Jones. If you look at like like I don't know, probably if you had a list of like the 30 most famous films of all time, he's probably done the music for like a third of them. Like it just ridiculous. And at this point, maybe it's like a self fulfilling thing where if you have a big high production movie with this, you know, all star cast. Of course, you're going to get John Williams to do the music. Right. And then he has another one on his list. But I don't know. Regardless, you know, all the all the production aspects of this movie were really, really good. The music really does contribute a lot to it. You know, we talked about that when we were watching it. The I think a lot of the um the atmospheric type music when they're in like a stressful, quiet scene or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some there's there's some uh piano arrangements that are really like off putting in those scenes where it's it's uh you know it's tight, it's claustrophobic. And things are really seeming bleak. So yeah, there's the uh, really good music in this uh, in this movie. Yeah, I think so too. I think it definitely adds to the overall appeal of the movie. No, no, you got anything else, or I think I th- you about said all you need I th- to say. I think I've said what I need to say about this particular film. Yeah, I'm glad we watched it. I, I probably definitely yeah, that's probably my quota for um, for my twenties. I, I turned thirty next month, so. Uh, I'll probably watch it at some point in the next like six Decade. to six to nine years at some point, maybe, <laughs> and I'll I'll remember it again and be like, oh yeah, I remember this part. Yeah, it was good. And I think this is kind of what we want to do for our bonus content. Um definitely kind of be media focused. It'll be a movie, maybe discuss some songs. We'll do our Gordon Lightfoot and Stan Rogers, you know, greatest hits or something like that and, and discuss some of those. Yeah, it's just a fun way to do something different. And like a little lighter and, you know, just kind of do our own thing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really have anything else to to add to it at this point. I just would like to say that we uh, definitely appreciate you guys listening and we appreciate all the support. We appreciate the follows on Instagram and uh, the interaction and email and, you know, the kind of growing the Patreon and everything. Yeah. Feel free to reach out to us, suggest a topic, mm-hmm. let us know how we're doing. Uh, Keep those iTunes reviews coming in. And with that, uh, I'll just say thank you for listening. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, Thank you, everyone. We are really just taken aback in a very positive way with the, just the number of downloads that we've had, the number of people listening, you know, the follows on Instagram, the reviews, things like that. Uh, The contributions that we've gotten from, from people for, for things like episode topics. There's a poll right now on Instagram. I think Taylor's running for, for our next episode, kind of deciding the topic for that. Uh, so yeah, this, yeah is, we'll, this has been really fun. We'll definitely be doing more of those. That poll will actually be done before this episode comes out. But in ah. the future, we'll definitely be doing more polls and uh, and things like that. Because it's kind of fun to see what you guys want to hear about. So mm-hmm. we definitely appreciate it. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So yeah, we can't say enough about uh, how pleasantly surprised we are with that support. It's a topic that we we kind of saw as a niche, you know, in the, in the podcast sphere and weren't quite sure if people wanted that niche to be filled and all evidence points to yes. So we're, we're happy to be trying this out and, and covering some topics that, that are hopefully of interest and also, you know, topics that don't get discussed as much as we kind of feel that they should. Yep, for sure. So uh, once again, thanks for listening and we will talk to you guys next week.